All right, it's good to see you here this morning. As you're finding a seat, we are ready to start. We have a great day ahead of us. What a friendly church. I love the excitement of being at church. You know, some people say, I don't go to church because my mother made me when I was a boy. Let me tell you, I go to church now, and I'm the pastor of the church because my mother made me go as a boy. So, take that. That's the first time we sang that song, that last song this morning. You know, when we got to that point where it said, hell has lost another one, I started going, wow, all right. All right. Yeah, a little edgy there. Today's going to be a wonderful day. Just to kind of let you know, so, you know, sometimes the fear of the unknown is the greatest. I want you just to relax, have a great time. Uh, What we're going to do is have a few announcements. My wife is here, and she's going to give us some announcements. And then we'll have the Word of God. And then after the Word of God, just a few moments of worship again as people that are going to get to get baptized get ready and then uh, we'll do the baptismal service and then end with maybe another song and then the time at church will be over so it'll be it'll go quick and uh, I'm glad that you're here this morning listen to some of the things that are going on at the chapel so we want you to engage where you can keep up with what's going on at the church. So go to our webpage, and if you'll scroll down to the bottom, you'll see an icon where you can join us on Instagram or Facebook. So we want to make sure that you're always informed about what is, what's going on here at the church. So coming up, August 14th is a really great day. It's Back to School Sunday here at the church. There's a list at the back of the church at one of the tables that you can just check out the, the school supply list, and we want to be a blessing to the families of our church on August 14th. We'll be doing a great celebration in the children's ministry and then celebrating. We've got an amazing group of people here uh, that are teachers in the school system, and so we want to bless them as well. So make sure you're a part of that day. And then um, also on August 14th, there will be a senior adult lunch, and so you'll get the details about that regarding the location and all. So save the date, mark your calendar if you're a senior adult, and uh, be a part of that lunch that day. Great time to connect. If you're a young adult, you're part of uh, AYA here at the church, or you're new, or you're new, and we want you to join today's lunch following the service. So um, you'll you'll see several around, and so just ask about where, and also you can uh, follow that group also on Instagram and Facebook for the updates with what's going on with our young adults. So welcome, glad you're here. If you did not know, AYA is Axiom Young Adults in our coffee shop. Some of you aren't aware, but we own the coffee shop just about a thousand feet or so to the uh, west of this building, and you are always welcome. Uh, God is doing some great things, and there's people that are a part of our church because of that coffee shop. So we are, we are just very proud to get into the community and do more than maybe just have Sunday services, but just also realize that there is ministry going on all through the week. Our young adults meet even on Sunday night, and our youth, our young adults, which uh, are younger than our young adults, they're students, they're uh, meeting also uh, during the week on Wednesday night. Man, God is doing some great things here. And when I hear, uh, went to dinner with some people and, and they're new to the church and they said, you know what is amazing that we picked up is everybody is excited to go to church. I said, really? Because I, I didn't even, okay, okay, I see it, I see it. You know, sometimes you're not aware of actually what's happening, you know, but I want to tell you that I'm glad that you made a choice to be here this morning. This morning we have something a little bit different than what we've done in the past is, uh, you know, usually this time I, I speak, but we're going to talk this morning and continue our series on inviting God in to our difficulties. Instead of just praying, God, get me out of this situation, we've been going through a series of messages talking about getting our inviting God into our storm when the disciples were in the boat and the storm was that they invited him to go along with them and that was the difference. Uh, Also, last week we talked about inviting God into our fight 
and, and the fight is when God has already said and given us promises in the word of God, it's up to us to say amen, which a lot of you have said amen at the end of the prayer or end of your prayer, and you really didn't know what it meant. Amen says, so be it. It's a declaration. So every promise the word of God says is yes and amen. It's up to us to say amen. So this Sunday, we're going to go into another area called inviting God in to our difficulties, but inviting God in concerning worship and what worship is. You know, we came out just a few minutes ago of a time that is considered worship, and I'll have uh, in a minute some explanation about that. But this morning, what is different about this Sunday than most Sundays is I'm going to call on some help. You know, sometimes the the baseball team, you know, and, and the pitcher's getting a little, you know, and the coach comes out and he goes, bring in the relief pitcher. So what I'm going to do is ask our worship leader to come and the first part of this message, she's going to bring it and throw strikes. <laughs> and then I'll come up at the end right before we do our water baptism and kind of, uh, put my take on the service. So let's give a hand to Lisa Cruz as she comes. So what I'm hearing is he's coming in clutch at the end, right? Is that the right term, you baseball folks there? Didn't know I could pull that out, did you? Man. Wow, what an honor to speak. And like you said, uh, first of all, I'm the worship leader, so I do music. So if he would have said, come up here and sing for a couple of hours, I'd probably been okay uh, speaking a whole different animal. So this is not uh, something that I do every Sunday. But thank you, Pastor, for giving me the honor of your pulpit and your time this morning. Um, and, man, just what a, what a great time of celebration and opening the service. Amen? This worship team brought it today, man, brought the energy. What was that? Wow, what was that? So there was a lady who came up to a, an elderly Pentecostal. We're Pentecostal. Do y'all know that? Okay, I just want to clarify that. We are Pentecostal here. If you didn't know after worship, you now know. We are a Pentecostal church. And a lady came up to an elderly Pentecostal pastor one night after church, and he said, and she said, Pastor, I don't believe in all of this emotion. Uh, I've never read anywhere that Jesus shouted and ran and jumped and hollered and clapped. And the pastor stopped for a second and he said, you know what, you're probably right. But everybody he touched did. Oh! Came right in there for it, didn't it? Had you right there. Good reaction. Keep that up, right? What does worship even mean? I mean, what is it? When we say, oh, we're going to go to a worship service, we have coined that phrase across almost every denomination, I think, declares their service time as a worship service. Um, and we talk about praise and worship. You know, somebody will come up to me and have time, oh, praise and worship was awesome. But what does that even mean? What does it even mean? Does God even need us to worship him? I mean, the truth is he doesn't need us to worship him. I know that sounds controversial, but he does not need us to worship him. You know that the word talks about God having angels around him that sing to him around the clock if there's a clock in heaven. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Holy, holy. Do you think we can do any better than that? Does he need us to worship him? No, he, he really doesn't. What he did, I believe, was create a desire in us and, and the ability in us to worship and to connect to him through worship. So he doesn't need us to worship, but he, we need to worship him. We need that, right? Everybody in this place, when I say worship, it looks different to you. I have a team of, I don't know, eight, eight or so folks that were in the uh, room with me before we come out for worship we meet together to try to get our mind right and ready to go for worship and I went around the room and I said what does worship mean to you when I say let's worship and every single one of them had a different answer every one of them when I go if I went across this room and I won't but if I did that today every one of you would have a different image in your head of what worship looks like 
all of us do because we, we base that on our past, right, what we've been conditioned to think that worship should look like. But what if today we removed all the ideas of what it should look like and we look at a few examples that I'm going to give you out of the Word today to reshape our thinking a little bit and see what worship looks like. All right? So go with me. Trust me. Hopefully, Pastor did, so hopefully you can. <laughs> the first worship team I'm going to talk about today is Paul and Silas. And I'm not going to drain all the time by reading the story, but if you want to go read the story about Paul and Silas, it's in Acts 16. I'm going to paraphrase what happened so that we can get to the, the meat of what we're going to talk about today. So Paul and Silas, called by God, walked with Jesus, anointed men, are going around about their day, doing what they do, talking to people about Jesus. You know, just basically, I would say, you know, tending to their business, right? They're doing what they do. Along comes a little girl who's a fortune teller. She's a slave. She's, she's a slave to others, okay? They are using her to make money. She's a fortune teller. She begins to come behind them, and she's yelling out things, and I take it as almost like a taunting, right? It's a distraction. Finally, Paul turns around, and he rebukes the demon that's within her because it wasn't her, okay? It was the demon that was within her that was calling out these things, and he set her free. All right, he sets her free. She goes about her way in freedom. Okay, key point. Um, but then her boss gets a little bad about that because now the income that he had coming in, there's a, that resource is gone. So he gets mad enough that they end up, long story short, throw Paul and Silas in jail. And many of you, if you've been in church very long, you've heard this story either in Sunday school or, or whatever. Paul and Silas, they go to jail. Had no one to go their bell, you know. There's all. all right, so they go to jail. They're locked up, hands and feet, in a jail cell with others. Okay, not by themselves, with others. My whole life, when I've heard that message preached, I've heard it said. And then at midnight, the darkest time, Paul and Silas began to sing. But as I began studying the scripture, I recognized that it doesn't say they began to sing at midnight. What it says is they were singing and praising and praying at midnight, okay? They were already doing that. So to me, I started thinking about that. I thought, well, that must have been their routine, right? So they probably started singing. Maybe some of the other inmates didn't know the song, but they maybe were listening in, you know. They're singing. They're praising God. At, then at midnight, at the darkest point of the night, the ground shook and the shackles fell off and they were all loosed. All the chains were broken. So here's some irony for you. They got thrown in jail for setting a girl free and then they start there. They continue praising God through that hardship, something that was unplanned in their day. They just continue on praising God. And while they were praising God, God moved the earth and set some more folks free in the middle of their worship session, in the middle of their praise, in the middle of that storm. I don't even know. I think me, I think Paul and Silas, they probably weren't happy about being in jail. But my thought is, is this was a routine for them. It wasn't new. Uh, you know, we're, we get together, different ones of us, you know, we'll hang out together. And there's certain things that we do. Maybe we eat when we get together. Maybe we sit around and talk. We laugh. We reminisce. I feel like Paul and Silas, when they got together, they talked about the Lord. And they probably sang. And they praised God. And that was part of their routine. Their daily routine. So I don't think they decided to worship through their circumstances, which was really the, the thought that I felt like I carried my whole life was, oh, they, in the middle of their storm, they decided to worship God. I feel like they worshiped in spite of their circumstances. It was practiced before the jail. It was practiced before midnight. They invited God into their difficulties. They invited God into that space, right? 
instead of sitting there going, God, we were just doing your work. We were out doing what you called us to do, and then look what happened. We, you know, some, some of us who've been in church for a while would have probably taken that. Oh, I must have missed the will of the Lord somewhere for us because there's no way God would put me in jail. But he, he allowed that to happen to them and then set some other people free because they continued steady the course. I'm going to continue to praise God even in the middle of my circumstances. All of the chains were loosed. All of them became free. They were not in a church. They weren't in four walls of a sanctuary. They were, it was where they were, and it was in their routine. The Bible tells us to rejoice always. It even repeats it. Rejoice always. Again, I say rejoice. You know, we can get real uh, spiritual to say that, but when you're in the middle of the always that's not so fun, sometimes it gets a little bit harder to rejoice in the always. But I also know that his word declares that the joy of the Lord is my strength. It's my strength. So how do we move through those difficult situations? I believe in their act of worship where they invited God in is where God met with them. The next act of worship I want to talk about is Mary of Bethany. And you will know her probably if you're familiar with any Bible stories as the woman with the alabaster box. She's known for that, you know, for coming in and breaking open this very expensive box that was probably her dowry. And it seemed very wasteful and she poured it out and washed Jesus' feet and then dried it with her hair. So I started putting my, myself in Mary's shoes a little bit, trying to think maybe what her thought process was when she walked in that room. So see, Mary had lived a life that was not uh, according to, to God's word at that point, uh, up to a point. Um, she had already been shamed by other people. She had already been judged by other people for her wrongdoing. She'd already been cast aside in the public eye. People knew who she was. They knew what she had done. They knew where she had been and who she had been with. People knew that about her. So I started thinking, what was she thinking when she walked in that room? Jesus is at the table. Lazarus is at the table. Martha's there. All these people are there. The disciples, some of them were there. What was she thinking when she went over with this very expensive box that had so much value? And she broke it over his, and, and poured that oil over the feet of Jesus and began to wash his feet. As, it's a sign of honor um, in that time. It's a sign of honor and respect. To do that, I started thinking, what was she thinking? And then I started thinking, maybe she wasn't thinking about what everybody else was thinking. Maybe she was only thinking about what Jesus had done for her. Maybe she was only recognizing how faithful he had been to her. How he reached to where she was at and he lifted her up and he rescued her. And he loved her. And he didn't accuse her, but he brought her in. And he made her a part of where they all were. He invited her into that place. Maybe everybody else faded into the background. And Jesus became her focus. I like to think that her worship was her response. It was her response to how good he had been to her. When others had been not so kind, Jesus loved her and showed her love. Her response was to give something of value to him, not so everybody else would look at her and say, ooh, that was very valuable. She brought the best of the best in here. Like, she must really have it going on. She knew she would be criticized for that. And she was, even at that moment, the disciples call it out. What are you wasting that good oil for? Why are you, to them it was a waste to pour it on Jesus' feet. To me, I say, who else would I pour it out on? Who else is worthy 
of that. She wanted to give him something of value. And so she poured that fragrance out on the feet of Jesus. And I believe this was something that was not an original thought for me. Someone gave me this. But when she left that day, she had washed Jesus' feet with her hands. She had dried it with her hair. And when she left, she had the same fragrance on her that Jesus had. She left with the fragrance of Jesus all over her because that was her act of worship. Overwhelmed by his love for her, she found that what was worth the most, and she offered that willingly because the level of her worship was based on her level of deliverance. It's different for you than it is for me. Don't forget that. It's different for you than it is for me. The next act of worship I want to talk about is there was a widow. And there's just really not a lot written about this widow. I'm not even sure it ever calls out her name anywhere that I found. But we just know her as the widow with two mites, right? She had a little bit of money, not much, a couple of pennies in our eyes probably. And it was all she had, right? Um, she's called out in the scripture because Jesus took note of her. But I started thinking about this woman who came into the, to the uh, sanctuary, if you will, to bring her offering. All these wealthy people are bringing their offering, and I'm sure they're happy to show that they're rolling out their $100 bills. You know, Let me see if I can drop a few hundred in the plate. And making sure everybody knows, right? She comes in with her two pennies, two mites, puts it in the plate, and I started thinking again. How did she feel in that moment? Did she feel embarrassed that she didn't have more? Because we might would think that, right? Um, maybe she was ignored because she didn't have more, which because she wasn't giving a lot. It was such a small amount, would anybody even notice? But Jesus noticed. He noticed enough to call it out so that we're talking about it many, many years later. A moment that she probably thought was very insignificant because she was coming again with what she had, bringing it in, and it wasn't what everybody else had. Why did she bring that? Because the truth is, in our minds, if she would have come in and said, uh, I'm just, Lord, all I've got today is a song for you, so can I sing for you? And most people would have been like, oh, she only, she just doesn't have much to give, but she, she brought what she had. She brought a song. But no, she really brought what she had, and she gave out of her poverty instead of out of her excess. She gave out of what she had left, not even, I don't even know if it's what she had left, I would venture to say, because it was pointed out to us in Scripture, she didn't know she had a paycheck rolling into automatic deposit on Friday. It might have been, this is all I got, and I don't know when I'm going to get any more. But it doesn't matter, because this is what I want to give to my king. This is what I want to give to God. And when she may have thought no one was paying attention, Jesus was watching. And he called her out and gave honor to her because he said she's given more than all of the rest of you because she gave from what she had and she gave it willingly. Is this story really about giving? I mean, we use it, right? And, and sometimes when we talk about giving offerings and things. But is the story really about giving? Because it's... It's really not in my mind. Really, the story was the attitude of the gift, the attitude behind what she gave. Because she could have given one of those two mites, and it still would have been a lot. But she gave from all. Maybe she realized that that offering was a whole lot less about what she had and a whole lot more about what he had for her. She had hope in him as her resource. Don't get caught up in what everybody else, what you think everybody else expects you to do for your worship. Because we can come in into a setting like this 
and uh, I can declare from the platform, let's worship God. Come on, everybody, let's worship the Lord. And you can get so caught up in, well, my, my, uh, I'm, I'm not a person that really, I don't really raise my hands, Lisa. That's okay. It's okay. I mean, it's really okay. Even the Pentecostals will agree, it's okay. I don't sing very good, so I don't sing real loud. It's okay. It's, singing these worship songs is not about your singing. It's about your song. Singing these worship songs is not about how you sound, but what you say, what you're declaring, what your faith statement is. When I tell you, and I, the worship team can back me up on this, I say this probably one out of four Sundays when we meet. Add your faith to what you're singing. When I sing, he picked me up. He turned me around. He placed my feet on solid ground. I'm singing that because I've lived it. I'm saying that because I'm declaring that as an honor and a praise to him. When I say hell lost another one, come on. When I say he healed me and he changed my name, he wrote my name down as what, how he sees me, not how Lisa sees herself. How he sees me. Amen? He changed my name. So don't get caught up in what you think everybody else's expectation of worship is because it's not about what everybody else thinks it is. It's a personal, intimate declaration from you and your backstory. Genuine worship will always come from a place of obedience, a place of gratefulness, a place of, a place of acknowledging who Jesus is in your life. These two ladies that I talked about, Kristen, I'm taking your statement that you gave me last night. These two ladies I talked about gave what they had because they found out he was worth it. He was worth it to him, to them. It was valuable. What they gave was valuable in man's eyes, but what he gave them was so much more. So much more. And the last one I want to talk about is the OG worship leader, the one that every worship leader aspires to be, that we talk about the most when we talk about worship, and that's David. David, a man after God's own heart. I mean, who doesn't want that tagline? Lisa, a woman after God's own heart, will be leading you in worship today. Who, who doesn't want that, right? I mean, I, I do. I want that. God, let that be me. Let that be me. He was not perfect. If you read the story of David, David had some flaws and he had some pretty big ones. He had some pretty big boo-boos in his life. He messed up pretty publicly in his life. Yet God still said, he's a man after my own heart. Because David's heart was always, even in the mess up, to worship God. His heart was always there to do the right thing for God. He always wanted to worship God. He always wanted to serve God. He, from a child in the field with nothing but sheep to hear him, where he must have felt lonely. I mean, all my brothers are out doing all this cool stuff, and here I am. I'm tending to sheep because I'm this young guy, and nobody finds any value in me. Who knows what he thought? But while he was out there, he was writing songs, some of the most amazing worship songs, some of the most beautiful songs that we can read about today because his heart was for worship. He worshiped alone. But he also practiced that worship alone, and then whenever he was put in a public place, when David became king, his worship was very public. I think David was Pentecostal before Pentecostal was a word. Because the Bible talks about David danced. He clapped. He encouraged us to clap. He even wrote a psalm about it. Clap your hands, all you nations. Shout to the Lord. He was vocal with his praise. He was outward in his worship. That makes me excited because you saw how we worship this morning. But what separates that song and that dance, because a lot of us, I mean, come on, let's just get real. A lot of us have danced, maybe in your kitchen, maybe doing a little jig, you know, to the radio, maybe on TikTok. I don't know. <laughs> um, a lot of us have danced, right? But 
What's the difference when we dance before the Lord? Amen? So what a lot of us have shouted when something great was happening. You don't call it shouting, really, probably when your kid makes a home run on the... Whoa! Nobody yelled louder than, than this one right here. If my son caught the football, nobody, he would just be like, Mom, I heard you up there. In the stands of a lot of people, I'm shouting the loudest because that's my boy. He caught that ball, and yeah, we're, right? That's mine. I'm shouting for joy. What's the difference when I'm shouting for joy what God has done for me? How much more? How much more can I declare that praise? I also want to say this. In a room with this many people in it, there's a very familiar song that many of us have sang and heard in every, I mean, if you've been anywhere and heard a radio, you may have heard it on country radio, you could have heard it anywhere, the song Amazing Grace. Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound. We know, same lyrics, we could, every one of us in here, sing that song. It has the same melody, it has the same lyrics, but I promise you, Amazing Grace for me is not the same as Amazing Grace for you. Because my backstory is not the same as your backstory. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see. I can look across this room. right now, I'm seeing it right now. There's some of you going, whew. Yeah, I was not expecting that. Same song, same lyrics. Same melody, what's the difference? What makes it worship when it becomes personal? It changes when it becomes personal for you. When you clap your hands, if I'm clapping my hands for the Lord, I'm telling you right now, there's something going on inside of me. It's not just an outward expression. When I'm shouting to the Lord with the voice of triumph, hallelujah. I can tell you there's something going on inside of me that I am excited about. When I sing for the Lord, it's, I'm singing from the depths. I always say this, and, and people think this is funny. You know, we, we cruise a lot, and there's uh, karaoke on the cruise, right? And so people will be like, do you do karaoke? I know. I hate to sing in front of people. <laughs> Thank you. I appreciate that response. It's nerve-wracking to me to sing in front of people. I, 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 I'm not lying. I'm telling you the truth. Because when I get up here, I'm not singing in front of people. It's very different when I walk on this platform. I am not singing in front of people. I am living out my worship publicly on this platform. God, I am singing a song to you. Every song we ever sing, the team can tell you I evaluate the words. I look at what we're saying. I'm not singing a message over this church that I don't believe myself, that I don't live out myself. I am not singing something that hasn't happened in me out here to you just to perform. Because I will tell you now, I've told millions of people this. Well, not millions, ten. But <laughs> I am not a performer. And I never hope to be. I don't want to be a performer. I never aspired to be some recording artist, although I have recorded a song, but that's another story for another time. I'm not a, a, a recording artist. I'm not a, a famous singer. And it's when I get up here to worship, that's not what I aspire to be. What I want to be is a leader of worship. When someone calls me a worship leader, absolutely. I want to lead others to a place that I've already been. I, want, I tell the team this often because I want them to hear it. We are leading worship, not singing songs. Hallelujah. Worship for all of us is a refocus. It's a refocus when you... Focus is whatever has your attention. It has your resources. That's where your focus is, right? When you refocus, it's on something new 
your, your mind is on something different. So you may come in here this morning going, I'll have to roast on in the crock pot. I've got to get out of here. If I get out of here, if pastor stops speaking at 12 o'clock and we get out the door, I'll have just enough time to run by Kroger to pick up. You know, I, I, I'm just saying it real. Like, that's, sometimes I'm there, right? Pastor, if you could just let us out so I could get to Kroger before everybody else. <laughs> just kidding, just kidding. But when you come in, why do we do worship at the beginning of the service before the message? Why do we do this worship service? It is for an independent moment for you as a congregation to come into an awareness of God's presence in this place so that when his word comes forward, it transforms us. We accept it differently when we are in my, our mind is in tune with what heaven wants to say. When we refocus, we change our attention. Our attention goes to whatever we're worshiping, the object that you worship. Sometimes we come in sliding in sideways and we fail to get our attention turned before the, the word comes forward. And then it gets, every little thing gets distracting, right? Oh, there was a glitch on the words up there. I can't really focus on what's going on. The lights are flickering. That hasn't happened in a long time. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah, they said from the sound. You guys are amazing back there. But I want my attention when I say I'm going into worship, when I say I'm coming into a worship service at the chapel today at 1030, I want my attention to be focused on the one who healed me, on the one who set me apart, the one who picked me up and put my feet on solid ground, the one who delivered me from who I was and made me everything that I am and all that I ever will be because he saw who I was before I could see it in myself. Hallelujah. God is faithful to do that. And when you walk through those doors, if you can just imagine in your mind the second you walk through the threshold, you're in the presence of a God who loves you so much that he sent his only son to die for you. He gave all that he had. So what can I bring to him? In John 4, David, if you'll throw that up there for me. Thank you, you rock. John 4, verse 23 says, Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for they're the kind of worshiper the Father seeks. Does it say anywhere, the worshiper that has the best voice that is the most outwardly expressive and so holy that they light up and ignite like the angels when they sing. That's what he's looking for. No, it says spirit and truth. We all have the ability for that. We all have what he seeks. He wants you to worship him in spirit and in truth. God is a spirit and worshipers must worship him in spirit and in truth. We learned what, was, what is spirit? What is that definition? Our mind, our will, our emotions. I want to worship him with my mind, which means I may have to stop thinking about the roast that's in the crock pot for a minute. I want to worship him with my will when I don't feel like it so much. You know that you can step into that by confessing things out of your mouth that are, God, you are good. And though right now I might look around and some circumstances may not be so good, you're still good. You're still faithful. You are true. Your word declares promises for me that I can bank on, that there's, there's no questioning them, that I can say yes to the promise, amen, so be it. That's worshiping with my mind. And then with our emotions, we can do a lot of things with our emotions, can't we? We can get mad at the guy on the highway with our emotions. We can love our children with our emotions. What if we're loving God with our emotions? It might mean crying. Ooh, I don't like to cry in public. It's okay. Practice in private. Because what you practice in private 
will be freed up in public. It'll be so repetitive that when you get to a public setting, it'll no longer be a barrier for you. Some of my best worship services are in my car because I'm free to sing as loud and off-key as I want to. I'm singing to the God I love who loved me first, declaring his promises over my life, declaring his word out of my mouth. I'm singing it out loud. See, it doesn't matter if you're in the car by yourself and you're singing it loud, out loud and you're off-key. It doesn't matter. So practice it in private and watch God open up your public worship. It will be explosive. Not because you're saying, oh, I got to be this. I'm not telling you, you got to be this run up the aisles, jumping up and down. I'm, I'm not telling you that. And please don't hear that because every one of you in here will worship God from a different place than I will. Just don't judge me when I do that, right? <laughs> Side note, okay, that wasn't in my notes. All right. <laughs> Worship is a response. It's an action. It's giving. It's serving. He doesn't need our worship, but his word still declares he inhabits, takes up residence. He comes into the place where worship is happening. Why? Because our worship opens up a conversation for me to love on him and him to love me back. And in those moments of worship, I also believe God begins to reveal his plan for me. He begins to encourage me and remind me, I've created you for so much more. I've created you for greater things than you can ask, think, or imagine. I have designed you with a purpose to prosper you and not to harm you. He reminds me of that when I open up myself and I say, God, I am yours Thank you for everything you've done for me. Use me. Use me as your vessel, as your conduit to bring good news to a world around me. In my actions, in my serving, in my giving. I always want to remind myself how faithful God is. Because every person in the sound of my voice, God has been faithful to you. Whether you acknowledge it out loud or not, he has been faithful. The fact that you could come in here today, sit up, and be a part of this amazing service with baptisms, experience this today, he's faithful. It's evidence of his faithfulness in your life. So the question today is not how you worship, but who do you worship? I sometimes cry Sometimes I bow because I'm in just in awe of his goodness in my life. Sometimes I sing. Sometimes I clap. Sometimes I dance. Sometimes I do that in my kitchen. Sometimes I sit in silence and I'm just in awe. Some of my greatest moments have been, uh, I was talking, I can't remember who somebody the other day about, um, uh, the experience, one of the things I had wanted to do my whole entire life was, well, okay, my adult life, was flying a helicopter over the Grand Canyon. Oh, just, man, that's like the view is going to be amazing. So a couple of years ago, uh, God made a way, and we were able to, to do that, have that experience. And I remember sitting in that helicopter, tears streaming down my face because of the magnificence of God's creation. And recognizing and understanding how faithful God is and how amazing he is. He's so amazing that even nature worships him. Every time I sit by an ocean and I watch the waves come in and out, I think about it's the word about the heavens declare your goodness. The ocean declares who you are. Even the elements around us are praising him. So it isn't about how. Because the ocean's not going to wave like the trees. Right? It's not about how. It's about who. Who you worship. So Romans 12. And I'm going to end with this, Pastor. Uh, Romans 12, verse 1 and 2. It's in the message version. I love the message. If you've never read it, if you're a personality like me, it's 
pretty amazing. If you're not like me, it's probably offending. <laughs> no, it's very in your face. I love the message version. But in Romans 12, in the message version, it says this. Here's what I want you to do. Take your everyday, ordinary life, your sleeping, your eating, your going to work and walking around life, and place it before God as an offering. Embracing what God does for you is the best that you can do for Him. Don't become so well-adjusted to your culture that you fit into it even without thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God. You'll be changed from the inside out. Readily recognize what He wants from you and quickly respond to it. Unlike the culture around you, this is so true, always dragging you down to its level of immaturity, God brings out the best of you, develops a well-formed maturity in you. Amen. Thank you, Lisa. Uh, you know, I just want to tell you that if you do not know Lisa, Lisa attended our, our church uh, for months and then she joined the worship team. And then after years on the team, I believe, then she actually took the position of worship leader. Uh, Lisa has uh, been very faithful. And we talked about faithful, faithful, faithful. You know, sometimes it's boring in the faithfulness of just showing up. But in faithfulness comes fruitfulness. And we have been blessed because of our worship leader and how she has come prepared. They, they practice and they practice and they practice. And sometimes we forget the amount of investment that our worship team has in bringing us to the throne room of God. Um, just quickly, I want to add something to this. And, and sometimes as believers, and if you've made a confession of faith and say, Jesus is Lord of my life, Realize, just because you made a confession of faith doesn't mean that you don't fall into habits. And all of us have a desire to be better or at least to be consistent in our life. They've done studies after studies that 40% of what you do every day is out of habit. And a lot of it is just unconsciousness. Just, just doing it because you know this is what I do at this time. So this morning, I, just in the next, I mean, very few minutes, I, I want to again bring out what Lisa said. She, she spoke about Paul and Barnabas and uh, worshiping in a routine. See, sometimes we get to the place, as I said, that we call upon God just when we're in emergency mode. God, I need you. I got to have you. I got to have you. And, and I'm not saying that that's bad because God is there and he'll never leave us nor forsake us. But sometimes in the middle of the storm, if we're calling on God, we can't see his hand because we're not used to watching for his hand to move in our life. So this morning is, is just as I get to this point that worship is different for you than it is for me, as Lisa said. It refocuses our thinking on God versus our difficulties because we all know that we're going to go through difficulties. Do you, do you understand that? Do you know what the odds are if you live with somebody that you're going to have conflict with that person? What's the odds? 40%, 50%, 100%. Well, Pastor, we don't fight, me and my... Leia. Anyway. <laughs> Listen, if you know that there's a, a trouble, a difficulty coming, it's so much better to be prepared for it so that when you go through the storm that it doesn't sink the ship, so to speak, that you're in. A lot of times a person that's going through depression will be so inwardly drawn and some of us have faced that where you feel like man I don't even want to get out of bed and you go to that person you begin to speak life and they go I, I just I just I just can't hear it because they didn't decide ahead of time let me let me again to remind you when we worship God we are refocusing our self our circumstances our life on him listen his identity, the Word of God says, who God is, how big He is. So when we look at the giant, as David did, he doesn't, everybody's seeing how big the giant is, but David, this little guy that's been worshiping, sees how big his God is. And everybody's saying, how in the world can you kill him? David's saying, how am I going to miss? Look at that forehead. See, 
It's all a different a perspective when we prepare ahead to worship, to worship. Also, it focuses or refocuses our thinking on who we are. Now listen, up to the time, if you haven't decided when you went are going through the storm, who you are in Christ Jesus, listen, who you are in Christ Jesus, who you are, who God says you are, you'll start thinking of who you think you are. And that will lead you into all kinds of problems. So worshiping begins to, again, refocus our thinking constantly. They say that, I don't know enough about space and travel and all that, but they say the space shuttle or the going to the moon, the rocket has a refocusing little element, a relauncher, so when it gets off course, it just fires an engine over here and it, it sets it on the exact course. Worshiping does that when we do it on a regular basis. Listen, this is unknown to the non-believer. But this is what we as believers have an edge. This is what God does for us in giving us part of what he has called the abundant life. Is being able to stay focused and on the right course. That our mind, our will and emotions are being transformed constantly. So that we might know God's perfect and pleasing will as Romans 12 says. That as we worship, things begin to happen. We're giving God our best. We're entering with thanksgiving. Have you ever just, maybe you just do it on Thanksgiving. But hopefully you do it regularly is when you just stop and say, man, I can't believe, God, I am so thankful for this. I'm so thankful for, and then we, uh, we enter his courts with praise. We're just saying, God, thank you. But what does that do? It puts us in a place of giving God our best. It refocuses us, just like in this service can be a snapshot of your day. Think about this. You come into this place, we begin to worship. We encourage you to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Sometimes we try to, you know, what are we going to do? We're really going to love God. More. Oh, yeah, just, just open up and say, God, I love you. Don't break a sweat. Come on. So during the day, maybe in the morning, for me, I've got this little place called my office. I get a cup of coffee. Yeah, you know, you know where you go in the morning. So, so get, get alone. And so then during our life, just like in the service, we have halftime. Some of you are done getting dressed in the morning and you got to go. Go to work, go to whatever. And you're around people. Do you realize that sometimes you think have time here at the church has the most friendliest people in the world? You know why? We just worshiped. When you leave your house, again, focused on what I said of who God is and who God says you are, all of a sudden you become, listen, a better person. Then what do we do? We go into the word of God. You hear the word of God and all of a sudden you leave. Some people don't go for one week to church and they go, man, it feels like a month I met. Why? Because when you put yourself in the place of truth, all of a sudden you begin to have faith. Listen, the Bible says that when you hear the word of God, you're hearing the truth. And when you hear the word of God, what happens? Faith cometh by hearing and hearing the word of God. That's hearing, hearing, hearing. Not I heard the word. I heard it. No, no. Hearing and hearing the word of God. It puts us in a place when we worship, giving God our best. Faith cometh by hearing. And people go, well, you know, how do I do that? First of all, now listen, and I'm about ready to wrap up. Everybody said, okay, now listen. Okay, I'm wrapping up. Faith can only be produced when you have hope. Because Hebrews 11 says this, faith is being sure of the things we hope for. See, don't leave that out. Sometimes in the most depressing times, I I told somebody this week because they went, you know, what do you do when you're depressed? Because they were depressed. I said, "Well, well, I worship and they looked at me like, are you kidding me? How, how do you do that? Because when I worship, I refocus my thinking and I get hope in tomorrow. Everybody with me on this? Faith cometh by hearing the word of God and hope puts me in a place of having faith. 
Lisa read a verse. The joy of the Lord is my so so play play the devil's advocate here. If you're the enemy, or you're that person at work, that's you know we don't war against flesh and blood, but sometimes boy that person seems like the devil. If you're the enemy, how would he defeat you? He would try to come against your joy. And as soon as he takes the joy from you, you don't have any more strength. So then we go back to what this whole service is about today, worshiping, inviting God into the difficulty. So in the middle of the storm, we have to know ahead of time what to do. Because we know that just as I started, 40% of what we do is sometimes even subconscious, unconscious, we just do it. So watch this. When we start losing joy, when the gauges of our car, you know, starts check engine or, you know, something goes wrong, we go, uh-oh, what's happening? When we begin to lose joy in our life, we say, the enemy's coming against me. What do I do? I worship. Why do we raise our hands? Surrender. God, I, I just surrender to you. Pastor, I don't really feel comfortable. And I know some of you got past in different churches and different parents than me and all that. But here's what I do know. Nobody's going to see you at home with the door closed, okay? So you can do that. So, so just try it sometime. The ceiling's not going to fall in if you raise your hands while you say, God, I worship you right now. When you surrender to God and say, God, you're bigger than me, and I know that you're bigger than any problem that I'm going to go through. And God, I know that you say that I'm who I am. I'm your children. I'm your child today. God, I'm the righteousness in Christ Jesus, not because of me, but what, because of what Jesus did for me on the cross and forgiving my sins. Listen, sometimes a non-believer will look at you and you've got to be okay with this. That to them, they can't understand why you stand strong in the middle of the storm. It almost comes across sometimes as arrogance. Do you hear me? Don't allow that to put you in a place of, well, I guess I better just humble myself and get into the soup of what everybody else is saying. I don't know if God's going to rescue me. I don't know if he's here. I don't know if he's going to do that. You never know. Quit that. Walk in your identity. The authority of the believer is knowing that he will never leave me nor forsake me. Even if I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I can fear no evil because he's going to be with me every step of the way. I can worship him right now because I'm on a mountaintop. And you know what? Tomorrow when I'm going through the valley of the shadow of death, I can still worship him knowing that he's my God. Can I get an amen? amen. I'm going to ask our worship team to come up. I'm going to ask those that are going to be baptized, the ladies to my right or to this side, and to the gentlemen to this side. As they're coming up, I want to show you real quickly water baptism. Once a person makes their decision for Christ, it shows three things. The first thing is that you want Jesus. The Bible says that if we confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For the heart of a person believes resulting in righteousness and with his mouth he confesses resulting in salvation. The second thing is that it says that you need Jesus. Water baptism symbolizes the need for our sins to be washed and cleaned. Listen to this. In 2 Corinthians 5, 17, it says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creature. The old things have passed away, and behold, new things have come. The third thing is that you'll follow him. That you'll say, Jesus, I want to follow you. Matthew 28 says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, Listen, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit to observe all that I've commanded you. And lo, I am with you always even to the end of the age. If that's not a reason to worship Jesus, I don't know what it is. So this morning, as these that have come
to our church and say, I've made a commitment to Jesus. I'd like to follow his example in being baptized. That's what we're going to do in just a few minutes. It's a very much of an honor to be here this morning, to witness and to be again an encouragement following this service of the decision to follow Christ. Please lead us in the